Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. It's good to be back with you, friends. Hope you are doing well as we continue on during this season of Advent, getting closer and closer to the day we celebrate the fancy theological word of incarnation, God coming into our midst through the life of Jesus. So today we're going to read a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. This comes from chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and we're going to focus on Joseph today. Last week we focused on Mary, and today we're looking at Joseph. So here are these words from Matthew uh, chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and she named him Jesus. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So on Sunday, as I am wont to do, I'm going to show a movie clip. This is going to be from a movie that has probably become my family's favorite. It's a movie that came out a few years ago, probably five or six years ago, called Arthur Christmas. If you are a fan at all of the Wallace and Gromit uh, animated TV shows and movies, uh, it's made by the same creators of that. So I would highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. And I know on podcasts it's hard to show or to explain sometimes, so I'll put a, a link to watching this clip. So the basic premise of Arthur Christmas is it takes a look at uh, what would happen if uh, the Santa Claus operation was a bit more corporate. So we see that Santa has two sons, one of whom is very much in the uh, corporate mode and model. And so he has everything um, figured out. This They have this gigantic um, machine, flying machine that goes around the world in order to deliver all of the presents and elves come down on ropes and it's all um, synchronized in a way that it is uh, done very smoothly and uh, concisely. And so we see this scene at the beginning of the movie where this giant ship, kind of like a, a UFO almost, the giant ship comes over uh, a city and, they sh- and we see how the elves come down with their ropes and go into houses and in this clip, the one thing I'm focusing on is one elf has gone into it. First, we see an elf goes into this child's room and is about ready to fill the child's stocking with all kinds of little goodies. And they have this contraption. It's like a scanner of sorts. And the elf scans the child's head, and then it shows them what percentage nice or naughty the child is. So one scene we see after the elf has scanned the child's face, you see 73% nice. And so then they takes the scanner and then takes the stocking and presses a button and about 73% worth of little presents and toys and so on go into the child's stocking. 
In another scene, Elf goes in, another child scans the child, and it says 56% naughty. And so the elf, being a gracious elf, then takes the scanner and points it at his own face in order to boost the rating of this child. And then it turns out to be 82% nice thanks to the elf. And so the child receives 82% of presents that uh, he should receive. And so I'm showing this on Sunday to talk a little bit about uh, grace and law and love and how that's used to describe Joseph. So sometimes when people talk about religious folks, one way that people categorize them is by saying that they are either law people or grace people. So folks who are characterized as law people often will, generally speaking, follow rules and laws strictly and literally. So it's easy to go through the scriptures and take passages and say, well, it's in the Bible in black and white, therefore we should do it because the Bible said so without taking into account any nuance or context or interpretation at all. We take it black and white. This is what law says. This is what we should do. So in the clip, a law person would nod approvingly, child was 73% good, so then therefore should receive 73% of goodies. Now, grace people say that we receive love and forgiveness from God, not because of anything we've earn, not because we have obeyed the laws a certain way or deserved it or done a 73% okay job in our faith. Grace says, because it is God's good nature and we are given love and forgiveness through our faith. So one passage from Ephesians 2.8 says, grace doesn't come or that we are saved by grace, not we are saved by grace through our faith, not by any works that we have done. Grace doesn't mean that we ignore the law, that we just simply say, well, anything goes because God will forgive me. But it's actually, at Jesus is later in his life, Jesus says that I am the law fulfilled with an emphasis on radical love. The essence of the law, Jesus says, is to love God and love neighbor with all of who you are. That's the essence of law, and law should be fulfilled in that way. When we take law out of that context and only focus on obedience, be obeying certain things and saying these people are in and these people out because the law says so that misses out on the essence of what law is. So in the clip, the boy is 56% naughty. Law, law people would say, and again, I'm making stereotypes here and um, I'm taking it to a a somewhat ludicrous uh, um, extent, but law says that we shouldn't get any gift because he's 56% naughty, or maybe 46% of what's coming to him. But Grace says this and shows this, that the elf points to himself to cover the gap, and the boy gets 82%. Law person would say, that's not fair. Boy is 56% naughty. 73% boy shouldn't get less than 56% boy. A Grace person says, well, that's Grace. It doesn't always make sense. But the essence of what's going on here, perhaps, is compassion and love. So, now, why do we bring all this up? We read in our text today about Joseph. You probably know him from his starring role as Mary's husband. Now, here's what the text that we read today says about Joseph in verse 19. It says that Joseph, being a righteous man. The word for righteous here in this text means upright or just. But what does that mean? What is righteous? What is upright? What does just mean? Scholars differ a bit on this, and it gets back to this whole sense of law and grace. So what does it mean 
that Joseph follows the letter of the law. Let's say he did that. Let's say he followed, was a law person and strictly a law person. If he did that, that would not be good news for Mary. You see, Joseph and Mary were betrothed. And in this time, it meant that they had come together, publicly stated that their, their commitment to each other in front of witnesses, what would happen often. And Mary, most scholars believe if it was like other uh, girls in this time, were probably 12 or 13 years old. And so they would come together, there would be witnesses, they would make a public commitment to each other, and that would officially make them betrothed. And then Mary would go back to her home for another year before they would actually begin to be husband and wife and live together. But that betrothal, that promise, essentially in the eyes of society, in the eyes of law, put them as married. So if Mary were to be found as being pregnant, most people would assume she had an affair, and this would bring about dire consequences. In fact, there are some texts in Scripture, in our own Scriptures, that says that she should have been put to death. But at the very least, certainly she should be divorced and made to feel shame in their society. So if Joseph followed that, that's what would happen if he was strictly a law person with no sense of compassion or grace at all. So if Joseph discovered, he, he, if the, the, the law would be clear once uh, Joseph discovered that. So Joseph has a decision to make. Does he follow the letter of the law, which mean, would mean at best disgrace, or when it says that Joseph is a righteous man, does that also mean that he upholds the law, but he also has compassion and grace? And he decides on the latter option, that he will divorce Mary, but divorce in a way that does not bring shame upon her. But now he has another decision to make. He goes to sleep one night and he has a dream. In that dream, an angel visits him and has instructions for him. It says, Joseph, son of David, the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Mary was not having an affair. Now, if Joseph thought the other decision was hard, whether to divorce her, and if so, how would that look? Now, he has an even more difficult decision to make. And this is what we've been exploring in this sermon series, what to do when we sense that God has either asked us a question or wants us to say yes to something that is stirring in our lives. So Joseph has a decision to make. The angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So Joseph has a decision. Do I follow this dream? Do I have a sense that this is what's happening? And not only marry this disgraced young woman, but also probably disgrace myself too, if I agree to do this. Many people probably would say I'm not righteous anymore because of that. The righteous thing to do is to divorce Mary. That's what all of the folks, the the good, upstanding citizens at the time around him would say, the right thing is to divorce Mary. So what would people say if Joseph said, "I, I was visited by an angel. I'm going to marry this girl. So what's the right thing to do? What's the right answer? Sometimes in our own lives, when we have a sense that we Uh, or that God is speaking to us, or that we have decisions to make, we probably reflect to ourselves, well, what's what's the right answer? What's the respectable answer? What's the reputable answer? What keeps my reputation intact? What allows me to say yes in God, to God, but doesn't make me look silly? Doesn't make others whisper about me? What is the decision that won't upset too many people? 
I will say yes, but not so that it will ruin my good standing or mar my good standing among my friends and family. So we have this decision in our own lives. I will say yes to a point. And Joseph, he could have said yes to divorcing Mary. He could have done it compassionately. That would have been the upright thing to do. But God comes to him and says, I need you to say yes, and I need you to say yes in a way that will change your life forever and may not change it for the good, particularly if you're worried about reputation and being respectable. So what will Joseph's decision be? And of course, we know as we continue reading through the text that he says, yes, he did as the angel commands him. So what do we do when we have that decision to make? We say yes, and it may mar our reputation. It may not be seen as very respectable in society or among our peers. We may be decried as being too religious or too political. How do we, if we have a real strong sense that God is still calling us to something and we say yes to that, what do we do with that? Well, often when I reflect on ways and and ways to describe this and illustrate this and the way that God works in our own lives, sometimes it's in small ways in our everyday, day-to-day lives, but also there are models uh, throughout history that we can look to for inspiration. And a well-known person is uh, Bishop Oscar Romero. You may have seen the movie many years ago that came out or heard about him or read about him for those who haven't, let me give a little bit of background about who Osco Romero was. And uh, this first part, I'm drawing pretty heavily from an article in the New Yorker magazine that was published about a year and a half ago in May of 2015. Uh, Oscar Romero was up for a beatification from Pope Francis. So uh, Oscar Romero grew up in El Salvador, and he became a priest, and he very quietly moved up the ranks. You may know of that, maybe in a place that you work, people who are quiet, uh, keep their nose clean, don't do anything too radical, they just do what they're told, and those people often will climb the corporate ladder or climb the leadership ladder if they don't make any noise, they don't step on any toes. So that's what Oscar Romero did. Now, it's also important to know what was going on in El Salvador, what was going on in the government, what was going on in the Catholic Church, the Catholic hierarchy at that time. The local Catholic hierarchy in El Salvador supported the El Salvadorian government. And in fact, for years, centuries, the church had been telling the poor, the peasants in El Salvador and other countries, that their sufferings were God's will. But starting in the late 60s, throughout Latin America, Thousands of Catholic priests and laymen were beginning to give a different message following the directives of Vatican II and talking about a preferential option for the poor. And so they're asking Catholics to go against structural problems that had so many people in poverty. That included Archbishop at the time, uh, Archbishop Luis Chavez Gonzalez, who was pushing against the powers that be that said, well, the poor, just it's the way it is, and so they should just accept it, and they would receive their reward later in life. Other Catholic leaders, including Archbishop Gonzalez, were saying no to this. Now, by the late 1970s, the military, who were ruling the country, 
who had been ruling the country since 1931, had staged another electoral fraud, and they were strongly repressing popular movements. They were chasing, capturing, torturing, killing priests who organized peasants in rural areas, especially in coffee farms owned by the wealthy. And so in 1977, Archbishop Gonzalez, who was pushing against the powers that be, the military, retired. And the elites found an opportunity. Finally, we can place someone who will not cause us any problems. We want to find someone who keeps their nose clean, doesn't speak out, will essentially do what we say. And the church was supporting, the local church was supporting the military, the government at that time. So they looked around who will replace Archbishop Gonzalez, and they found their man in Oscar Romero, this man who was quiet, didn't do anything to upset the apple cart. I'm trying to think of all the different metaphors I can use here to convey just that he was definitely one who was not going uh, to make any problems for those who were in power. Well, one month after Romero's inauguration, a priest, Rutilio Grande, a Jesuit, one of Romero's closest friends, was killed by state agents. And then something happened. This new bishop was not the man that the powerful thought he was. That following Sunday, after his friend was shot and killed, he canceled Sunday Mass throughout the country and convened the Salvadoran church into the cathedral for a single Mass. And there, he publicly blamed the government for Grande's death and demanded justice. Two months later, he refused an invitation to the inauguration of the new president, General Carlos Romero, refused to meet with government officials and was causing havoc. The Vatican ambassador to El Salvador was furious. In fact, at one point, Pope John Paul called him in and essentially told him, according to Romero, just kind of keep the peace, work with the government in order to bring change. And he would not do that. He continually spoke out, continually spoke out, continually spoke out. And on March 24th, 1980, while serving mass in a church, he was assassinated. So the right thing, quote-unquote, right thing for Romero to do was to just go along. He would have had the approval of the Vatican ambassador. He would have had the approval of the Vatican itself. Just go along. See if you can change things to government slowly. Work with them. See what you can do. But he had a sense and a calling that the righteous thing to do would be just the opposite. And it ended his life. Now, we hear perhaps stories like this. And we are both, at least I am, inspired, and yet I also see Oscar Romero as, this is somebody who will be a saint one day. How can I possibly relate to someone like that? Well, these things happen to us in our everyday lives, too. Um, About a month ago, I was um, taking the train, the train from Chicago to Northwest Indiana for a retreat. And as I was taking the train, uh, sometimes when I get on the train, I just, I close down. I read a book. Uh, or work on a crossword or something like that. I really am not very attuned to what's around me. I take that time because I'm sometimes more of an introvert, and I just shut down all that's around me. So as we're taking the train, I noticed this woman was beside me, and here I am reading, and she's on the phone. And I can't help but hearing, because she's talking really loudly about all kinds of things that are happening to her, something about that her electricity is going to be cut off, she has no money, she has no friends, she just moved to Northwest Indiana, that her life was just miserable. And she just kept going on and on and on with the phone like this. She talked about this aquarium where her fish were dying. It was a really a sad story. 
And so at that moment, now really the, the, the right thing to do, I think sometimes when we are on a train or in strangers or we see something happening is just to ignore it. It's not my business. I don't want to get involved because if I get involved, who knows where that will lead. Now, the righteous thing to do would have been something else. Now, I lift this up not necessarily to say I am this great model because I have, there have been plenty of times when I have just uh, shut out. I have just put my nose in the book. I've just ignored what was going on around me and said somebody else is going to deal with it. But on this particular day, I finally realized I can't shut this out. And so I turned to the woman. I said, you know, what? I can't help but overhear what you're saying. I have some money if you would, if that would help. And she kind of looked at me and was surprised. And she said, no, no, I can't take, I can't take your money. But then what she did take was my time. She spent the next half hour talking my ear off. I never told her I was a pastor. She had no idea who I was. She just needed somebody to talk to. And she talked and talked and talked about all that was happening to her all the struggles that she was having. She talked so much that she missed her stop. And this wasn't like the L where you could just hop back on and head back the other way in a matter of minutes. This was going to take her a while to get back to where she was going from. So as she was about ready to leave after realized she had missed her stop, I offered again to give her money. And again, she declined. But she thanked me for listening. This is a very, very small thing. And please do not think that I'm comparing myself to Oscar Romero. But I think we have these things every single day of our lives, these opportunities that God places before us, opportunities for us to say yes to God, and opportunities to say yes to God where we realize, well, what's the respectable thing to do? Or what is the righteous thing to do? And by righteous, meaning we say yes to God, and that means what we think is righteous may not be right in the eyes of society and may bring us down in repute with others, the people that we hang around with, the things that we say, the things that we proclaim, the things that we write. This is the decisions that we have to make. Now, the thing that I did may not seem like that big of a deal, but I think for a lot of folks, they would have just said, well, you know, really, just stay out of it. Just stay out of it. But on that particular day, I finally summoned up the courage to say, well, no, I think God is asking me to do something else. Every single day, this is something we've been saying throughout this whole series, every single day God gives us the opportunity to say yes to all kinds of different things. And if our gut reaction is, well, what's the right thing to do? What's the respectable thing to do? Because that's what God wants me to do. In fact, maybe just the opposite. The right thing for us to do may be the righteous thing for to do, to do, and that may mean being disrespected, as I'm sure Joseph was, as I know Mary was, and their own decisions and yet this was the way that they lived out God's calling on their lives. And so to take a line from another movie, we are called not always to do just do the right thing, but to do the righteous thing. Let us listen to God and follow in that way. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. So the schedule coming up is uh, goes this way. I'm going to be preaching um, 
We have at Urban Village two services coming up to the Christmas season, December 23rd and December 24th. So I'll be preaching a December 23rd service. It's like a Christmas Eve service. I'll have one more podcast before the end of the year. And then uh, I'm off for a couple of weeks. So I won't be preaching on Christmas Day. We have service at Urban Village. And also I won't be preaching on November or January 1st. So it will be uh, one more podcast and then I'll be off for a couple of weeks. So one more plug, if you could um, think about supporting Urban Village uh, end of the year, if you're thinking about making some kind of charitable contribution, consider Urban Village, especially if you get anything out of this podcast whatsoever. So you can go to urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give, and I'll put that link in the podcast uh, or on the Podbean page, and your support really, really would help us uh, a lot. If you would like to reach out to me, Chris at UrbanVillageChurch.org, and on Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm also on all the various social media outlets, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, I do a little bit of Snapchatting even, so feel free to reach out to me in those places too. Until this uh, coming next podcast, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.